subject that just this needs so much. For example, I just today, just today, I got a a a, a inbox in my Facebook about uh, a, a former basketball player, former now basketball player, Keon Dooling. Uh, you may or may not know him. Uh, well, any Cavs fan should remember this guy. He played for the Celtics. He was. He was the LeBron stopper. I don't know if y'all remember, but he, he would guard LeBron. He played for the Celtics. He, he's been in the pros for 12 years. Well, he has made headlines uh, because it, this is the headline. It says, Keon Dooling stayed in a psychiatric hospital this summer and talks with Katie Couric about his history of sexual abuse. Well, what happened was is Keon uh, had been playing with his sons in front of his mansion and uh, some of the neighbors noticed that he was getting like beyond like too rough with them, like in an angry sense. And so uh, the police were called and they said, you know, you know how it goes, you know, a bunch of police showed up and uh, they arrested him. And next thing you know, he spent uh, a duration of time in a psychiatric ward uh, and came come to find out he is suffering from PTSD, which most of you know is post-traumatic stress disorder which researchers are now discovering is not just applicable to people who have been in wartime, but people that have been in any traumatic situation. You understand this, Michelle, as a social worker. People who have been in any traumatic situations could possibly suffer from PTSD. What I'm trying to tell you is, is there are some of us, maybe even here today, who have experienced things in our lifetime as children or maybe even as adults that were so severe and so traumatic that we actually might be dealing with some post-traumatic stress disorders and how we relate. In his case, he, his stuff became unmanageable and it, it, it blew up in his face, then he got help. So uh, I wanna talk tonight, I, I bring him up for a reason because one of the things Keon said in his interview with Katie Couric was, I would not have even said, I would not have come out about this, this issue. I mean, I'm a pro basketball player. You don't talk in the locker room about being sexually abused as a child. He said, but when he saw the Sandusky trial and the issue with the, uh, the Boy Scouts and some of the things with the Catholic Church, he began to get courage. And this is the actual statement he said. He said that the victims became heroes for him because they began to demonstrate courage about telling their story. One of the things I'm learning about life in general, I mean, it doesn't matter what your struggle is, this just happens to be sex. The truth of the matter is, you can apply this to anything. If you're struggling with something, generally, the first, the first step, this is, this is textbook addictions, uh, this is the big book stuff right here, if anybody knows what I'm talking about. The first step towards dealing with any problem is not denying it. That's right. It is an admission, an acknowledgement that one has a problem. This is biblical. The Bible says that the first step towards a relationship with Christ is what? Somebody tell me. What's the first step towards a relationship with Christ? Huh? Repentance. Repentance. And part of repentance, uh, is, Michael, is th that notion that I can't repent of something that I don't know what I have done. And so God, thank God for Pastor Coatsom just pointing that laver. I, keep, I cannot stop thinking about how in the sanctuary the laver was this bowl made of mirrors. And the imagery is very clear. Before I can go to the next level of growth in my relationship with God, then I've got to be open to seeing myself. 
And I'm going to tell you right now, one of the reasons why your pastor came so hard this Sabbath is because I have a strong suspicion that many of us do not realize how depraved we are, to use your word. Understand this right now. The Bible says the heart is desperately wicked. And then, then your boy goes so far to say, he says, who can know it? In other words, we are so depraved that most of us don't even realize how messed up we are. And I thank God for grace tonight. How many of us thank God for grace? God, and I've said this over and over again. See, if you realized how much you needed God, and I want to say this right now. Let's be clear on this. You don't know how much you need God. You don't. Because if you did, you wouldn't be doing what you're doing right now. I'm going to say that one more time. You don't realize how much you need God, because if you did, you would not have this lackluster Laodicean, when I feel it, kind of spirituality that seeks God when I'm moved to do it. A person that is desperate for God, that realizes the depth of their condition, the person that realizes the depth of their condition will always find themselves at the foot of the cross. And I'm telling you, the most important lesson that one can learn about their spiritual lives, this even in the Beatitudes, the first Beatitude is, blessed are the poor in spirit. Poor in spirit simply says, I realize that I am morally and I am spiritually bankrupt. I am messed up. I will, I'll do it. Come on in here, somebody. Whatever it is, be honest. You'll do it. If, it, if, it, if, it, if it's not for God's grace, if it's not for a set of circumstances, thank God for the people in our lives. The truth of the matter is, you'll do it. Yes, you will. The only reason, and some of us have done it, and, and thank God that he has not allowed the penalty of our decisions to destroy our lives. We are living in grace. I like, I like what, uh, what Israel said. Uh, is it Israel? No, it's not Israel. Who's the guy that sings? I can't remember the guy who sings the song, but he says, he says, your grace is an ocean and I'm drowning in it. <laughs> he said, there's so much grace, I can't even swim my way out of this one. The Bible says, where sin abounds, grace doth much more abound. But don't take God's grace for granted. Tonight, I think it's appropriate for us to end our discussion, not so much talking about sex, but talking about Jesus. Amen. And I want to talk to you tonight about Jesus uh, in our review time, we, we realize that there are a number of things that are plaguing our philosophy about sex. And generally, the bottom line is it roots to our sin problem. But let's go to John, 4, John chapter 8. John chapter 8. Uh, if you media team will switch to the Bible, put John 8 on there for me, if you would. John chapter 8, and uh, let's go to verse, uh, verse number 1. John chapter 8 and verse 1. Take out your Bibles. I want to point some things out to you from the scriptures, and I want to make a, a major appeal tonight for us to make some declarations for God, to declare some things tonight. The Bible says if we confess with our mouth and believe with our heart the Lord Jesus, then we are saved. I believe that there's some things we need to declare tonight, that by the grace of God, I will do A, B, and C. And so by God's grace, I want to share with you a message that I have, I have tweaked for tonight entitled, The Blessing of Getting Busted. The Blessing of Getting Busted. The Blessing of Getting Busted. John chapter 8. And verse 1, the Bible says, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Verse 2, at dawn, he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him. And he sat down to teach them. Now watch this out, guys. Get in your word. Watch this. So what is Jesus doing inside the temple courts? What's he doing? He's having a Bible study. Jesus is teaching. Now, if you, if you just excuse your pastor for a minute. Man, I cannot wait to get to heaven so I can sit at the feet of Jesus and hear him preach. Listen, man, I've heard some great preachers here on planet Earth. But, yo, Jesus is in church and Jesus is doing the preaching. I'm telling you, understand, know that the word is coming forth. 
the word is coming forth with much power. There are lives that are being changed. But watch this. While Jesus is preaching and teaching, the scripture says in, in the same chapter, it says, it says the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, the leaders of the church, brought in a woman caught in a sexual sin. Right. She was caught in what? Adultery, which is to say uh, the biblical word for adultery is the word porneia. That means that she was having sex with somebody who was not her husband. So adultery in the Bible is extramarital. All right. It's that, so it's outside of marriage. So fornication can be considered adultery. So watch this now. The Bible says the teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman. Now watch this, y'all. Caught in adultery. Now, there's a lot of ways you can catch somebody in adultery. But can we agree tonight that for the most part, the way that you can you catch somebody in adultery is you got to have some kind of idea that they are doing this. I mean, like adultery generally happens in secret. It generally happens, uh, you know, you know, behind closed doors. If it's adultery, people generally are doing it so as not to be known, to not to be found out. Here's my point. If they caught her in the act. Now, it's one thing to bust somebody after the fact, but to catch them in the act sounds like a setup took place here. I don't know about y'all. Sounds like they knew. Sounds like they knew. It sounds like they knew that she was involved in this thing here. Sounds like a straight up C-O-N-spiracy. Sounds like a straight up sting attack. How many of y'all remember when Marion Barry was caught uh, with a crack pipe in his hand and, 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 and with a woman in his hotel room? And the words that came out of your boy Marion Barry's mouth with the cameras on him was what? He says, I've been set up. Your boy says, I've been set up. It's a setup. And it was. I mean, no doubt he was wrong. But let's be clear on this. They set him up. They set her up. OK, watch this. Now, the Bible goes on to say she was caught in the adultery. They made her <laughs> stand before the group and said to Jesus, teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. Verse five in the law, Moses commanded us to do what? To stone such women. It didn't just say women. It said stone the man too. So, you know, they're already wrong. They only just pulled old girl out there. I'm trying to figure out where the brother is. Those kind of reminds me of those days when the girl got pregnant in church and the girl was brought to the church board and disciplined. Well, how come y'all ain't do nothing with the brothers? You know, anyway, the Bible says that they also be stoned. Amen. It says, now, what do you say? Verse six, it says they were using this question as a what? So the Bible just told us what we had already assumed, that this was a trap. Somebody say it was a trap. How many, how many can acknowledge today that you've been set up in some situations? And, 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 and yeah, you may have been guilty, but the devil is always setting up traps. Oh, I wish you would hear me tonight. Understand this. This is why we cannot take our walk with God, our times in the word, Richard, why we, can't, why we cannot play with the spiritual, spiritual thing. Because there is no such thing as Laodicean demons. There's no such thing as part-time demons who are sometimes evil and sometimes not. Every minute that you are breathing, you, if we can only be as spiritual on the opposite side as demons are on the wicked side. Demons are consistently concerned about pleasing their master. And they are always thinking of ways to trap us 
That's why I feel sober. It sobers me to think that while I'm preaching right now, while you're enjoying the service, while you got your Bible out, while you got your phone out with your Bible on it, while you're sitting here listening intently to the word, that there are plans. Y'all, y'all understand? There are plans and there are traps being made right now to destroy your life. And here's the thing about it. The devil is not just trying to kill you. He's trying to kill you while you're at your worst spiritually. He don't care if you're just dead, because if you're dead and you're in Christ, guess what? He has not accomplished his mission. His goal is to get you as jacked up as possible spiritually and then to take you out when you're at your lowest. There's a trap set up for your life. And this is why your pastor preached so strongly and so harsh on this past Sabbath, because I'm concerned that many of us don't realize that we're at war. There are snares being set up for you. How can you not be in the word? How can you not be in prayer? How can you not raise up early in the morning? Because you've forgotten you're in war. You think people in Afghanistan, you think people out in, uh, in Iraq and in Iraq, people who are fighting and in Syria, do you think that they are living life haphazardly? They are constantly under awareness that at any given moment, my life can be taken from me. And the same mindset should be had in the minds of believers that we are at war. We cannot see it with our eyes. We cannot, we cannot objectify it. We cannot describe it. The Bible says we wrestle not against flesh. Am I, am I talking to anybody here tonight? The Bible says we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. And so against the rules of darkness of this earth. So understand now, what's according to the scriptures, this pew is less real than what you cannot see. I, I realize today how much we trust people that we don't even know. For example, when you're driving, I was driving down Lee Road today, and you know how it is on those four-lane streets. You can't call it a highway, but those four-lane streets, and you know how you make left turns in it. You, you, if there's no middle turning lane, you have to make that turn. And, and you know, sometimes people are coming out from a side street, and, 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 and when you're driving down these streets, you are, sometimes you can't see them. You're trusting that the person who's at a stoplight or at a stop sign is not going to drive into traffic. How many of you guys actually think about that when you're driving, that you're driving down, and I'm trusting that somebody's going to obey the law? I'm trusting. I mean, you literally have to trust. How do I know you trust? Because you're speeding down there. You don't hesitate. I remember the first time I got in a car accident. After that, every time I came to a place that was similar to the car accident, I would, I would hesitate. You know what I'm saying? You would be overly cautious because you didn't know what was going to happen because it happened to you before. But for the most part, during the day, when we're driving, I mean, we take for granted that somebody could be a drunk driver, that somebody could be on their phone, that they did not see the light, and they just run right through traffic, and, and you could be struck and killed. We have to trust that people are obeying the law. My question is, is if we can trust people that we don't even know, that we will never meet, that we will never say hi to, that are in another car then why can't we trust a God that has proven himself to us over and over and over again that he knows what he's talking about when he says, seek my face, turn from your wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven. Then I will forgive your sins and heal your land. And so the trap was set up. Now, here it is. And I just got one major point I want to make tonight. Here it is. The Bible says they were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. So understand this. This whole issue was not about the woman. Amen? Look at your neighbor and say right now, this had nothing to do with the woman. This had nothing to do with the woman. All right? Go, go to somebody else and say, this had nothing to do with her. All right, so I want you to get this now. 
So the traps that the enemy has set up for you are not about you. The devil don't really care too much about you. It amazes me how people run around here. Oh, the devil, he's scared of me. Oh, the devil is a lie. He knows that I'm going to come warring against him. Like, for, no, for real, seriously. Like, the devil's not, like, afraid of you. He's not. He's not, he's not afraid of you, and it really isn't about you. What, this, what Satan is really up to, this is what we call the great controversy. Yes. Satan is upset at God, and the best way to get back at God is to mess with the thing that means the most to God. And so the Bible says this was a trap, not for her, but it was a trap to set up Jesus. Oh, but they know they messed up. They know they messed up. Oh, Jesus loves to be trapped. When you get a chance, I want you to read through the Gospels and see when they used to try to trap Jesus and corner him with a question. And with just one statement, Jesus would confound them. I mean, if you're going to try to trap Jesus, you better know what you're doing. You cannot. You can't box God in. You can't put him in a corner. I want you to know something tonight. Your problem, whatever it is, somebody needs to hear this tonight, is not, come on, guys, really, listen to me. There is no problem on planet Earth that has God concerned. Like, God is not Salatio. He's not like, when we're hit with stuff, he's not like, oh, let me sit down somewhere. Let me, let me figure how... How am I going to work this out for them? Do you realize that God, Judy, has, like, before you were born and your mama and your grandfather and your great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather, before Adam came into existence, somewhere back in eternity, God had already, Charmaine, had a solution, Tamika, for your problem. And God's solution for your problem had already existed before your problem got there. The problem is, as many of us are, we get... We get problem focused instead of God and solution focused. The thing that the enemy wants you to do is he wants you to be consumed. He wants you to worry, like I told you about the other day, about your problem. I was worried about this test. I was worried about my doctorate. I mean, I was stressed out. I'm getting cold sores. I mean, I, I mean I'm losing hair already, but I felt like it was speeding up. You know what I'm saying? I'm, I'm worried and I'm stressed. And the thing is, I'm preaching about faith. I'm telling other people to have faith. And God says it's so much easier to talk faith. It's so much easier to teach faith. It's so much easier to, to, to act like you have faith than it is to actually, come on, to practice that thing and you know that you have faith in God when you are faced with a problem and you look that problem in the eye and then you look back at your God and then you look back at your problem and then you look at the greatness of your God and you say to your problem, that ain't nothing. I know that my Redeemer liveth. I know that, I know that God has a solution to my problem. And so, and so watch this here. Jesus bends down while they're accusing. And he starts to write on the ground. They're standing. He's stooping. With his finger. The last time Jesus had his hands in the dust is when he breathed into man's nostrils the breath of life. And when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, if anyone is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first. Generally, old folk are the last ones to repent. Y'all see what just happened there? So they're accusing the woman. She's guilty. Look at it. I want you to picture the sister standing there, scantily dressed, with her dangling negligees on, her, her hair matted to her face. Remember now, she has just been caught in the act of adultery. Oh, come on, y'all. <laughs> she smelled like sex. <laughs> I can't nobody, you can figure out how to say amen to that. 
(laughs) Are we talking Bible right now? She was caught in the act. Ellen White says then she was dragged through the streets, caught in the act. Let your imagination work with you a little bit. I can't think of anything more humiliating than that. Now, some of us have had people to talk about us and tell church folk. And anybody ever been going through something and folk were talking about it, commenting on it, and they didn't really know what they were talking about? It hurts when people talk about you. I mean, they ain't really done nothing. They ain't really seen you do nothing. They're just guessing and they're just gossiping about stuff that they heard. That's hurtful. But can, y'all ain't never been here. Have you? I mean, when you are grabbed out of your sin, literally, you are taken in the same hour from your bed of sin and you are dragged half naked through the streets. People are looking at you in your sin. You are brought then into a church. In the middle of service on Sabbath while the preacher is free. Now, come on in here, somebody. Come on in here. I know you've had some trials. I know some folks have talked about you. I know they maligned your name and they lied on you. But we have not been here where some, I mean, she was physically taken from the point of her sin. She was ripped out of that and then thrown in front of Jesus in the middle of a crowd, in the middle of Jesus. And then they threw the book at her and said, now, what are you going to do about it? The law says that she's supposed to be stoned. They thought they had Jesus. She's supposed to be stoned. What do you say? Jesus, <laughs> Jesus gets down and he starts writing. The old folk, though, you know, the Bible says, the elder ones were the last ones to leave. I don't know what, what he was writing, uh, but your girl, I like how Ellen says, she says he was writing the sins of all those standing there. <laughs> he, you know, and so one by one, the, the, the younger folk were like, okay, it's time to leave. But the, the older folk were slow in moving. And, and, they, and they still had stones clenched in their hands, prepared to stone her. Let me give you the picture of what happened when somebody got stoned, all right? So what happened, this is how a stoning took place. There's actually a real good documentary on this. Which, the name flees me right now, but when I think of it, I tell you. But, 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 but what, what happens is, is they would dig a hole in the ground, right? And then they would take the subject or the person or the victim or the guilty party, and then they would feet first put them down inside the ground, all right? They would put them down far enough so that only their head, Right. So only their head was was to be seen. And so then they would take dirt and then they would mound the dirt simply around the head. They were not concerned with the body. They were simply just concerned with the head. So so they would take the person. They would bury them in the ground. They would leave their head remaining so that they had no control to stop the the, 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 the projectile, the, the projecting rocks. Now, don't see pebbles. Don't see uh, like, you know, what I'm saying little stones you see down at the lake. Understand, this is Palestine now. It's a rocky area. Stoning, the, the object of stoning was to try to find the heaviest rock possible because you were not going to throw it. You were going to drop it. Okay? And so the head of the person is there, and they're supposed to then take the rocks and to find the heaviest ones they could and drop it on the head of the victim. That was stoning. All right? So get this now. This was their plan for this woman. This is the devil's plan for your life. He wants to dig you down as far as he can in the midst of your mess. 
and he only wants your head to be exposed. He, he wants the most vulnerable parts of you to be exposed. And then when he has you publicly, when he has, oh, I know what I'm talking about. He wants to embarrass you. Don't think for a minute the devil just wants to bring you down in secret. The devil wants to humiliate you. He wants to do it publicly. He wants it to be ugly. And he wants you to never forget what he's done. I'm telling you right now. And he wants it to be so ugly that it discourages other people. This was the process of stoning. So that anybody else who dared committed adultery would see that this will happen to you if you do this thing. But thank you, Jesus, that just as they were gathering their stones to stone her, as they were digging, come on in here, somebody, as they were digging a hole for her, you better believe right now, Satan is digging a hole for you, but you better be glad that Jesus is writing in the sand. Satan has already prepared, prepared a trap. He has already prepared a snare. He has already planned your, your funeral. But how many know that I shall live and I die? I shall declare the works of the Lord. And as they are there preparing to destroy her, the Bible says that Jesus doesn't fight it. He doesn't run around and knock them down. But the Bible says he just starts writing. And then these words. This is for anybody who's watching and hearing. I just want to share with you grace tonight. I think this story is in the Bible for a number of reasons. But in those days, there were two sins that were deemed almost unforgivable. It was <laughs> leprosy and sexual sin. In our society, that's AIDS, homosexuality, fornication, in the church, if you want to sin that's going to get people's attention, if you want to call a board meeting, a business meeting, see how many people will come out to hear the gore. I mean, look at Petraeus. I mean, this thing affects everybody. Come on, say amen, somebody. People are falling to this thing left and right. And now with pornography, people can fall and quote unquote, nobody knows that they're struggling. I'll let you know something right now. Understand this. The same sin of sexuality the enemy is using now to destroy our young people, to destroy our families. He's doing it to humiliate ministers. He's doing it to, bring, I mean, it, this thing affects everybody. Don't sit in here and tell me this is not a problem. This thing goes up to the highest levels of government and it goes down to the lowest levels of the hood. It doesn't matter where you are, this thing affects people. But notice what God does. God shows that no matter, no matter what, hear me now, no matter what sin you've committed, even if it were recently done and you were caught in the act, there is grace for you, the same day that you committed your sin with the smell of adultery on your body, the Bible says that Jesus extended grace to her and she did not even ask for it. There's nothing in the Bible that says, she said, forgive me of my sins. There's nothing in the scripture that says, Jesus, can you please? Jesus does not extend grace based on our asking for forgiveness. Jesus, oh, you're living in grace, y'all. We are living in grace right now. The only reason why you're breathing is because of grace. And for the person who's listening and the person who's here tonight, if you are struggling with a sin that you think is too difficult to overcome, I want you to know there's more grace than your sin. There's more of God's grace than your sin sin. There is more mercy than your sin. There is more forgiveness than your sin. And God says, no matter what you've done, when you did it, what time you got caught, if it were five minutes ago, I don't care what it was. Even if you got caught and were brought in the middle of a church service, God says, I will forgive your sins. Now, here's my point. Beautiful story. 
We know this woman became to be a great woman of God. Most scholars believe this is Mary Magdalene. Bible says, and this wasn't the last time, Bible says after this, Jesus cast out demons out of her seven times. So it's a process. God constantly works through us. The Bible said this is the same woman that after the resurrection began to proclaim the first one to tell of the goodness of God. So God always sees what we don't see. What they saw was a woman caught in adultery. What Christ saw was the first disciple to lift up the resurrection of his coming. All right. Now, here's the point. I say all that to say this. She was set up. She was caught. She was sexually abused. She was abused. She was abused. She was religiously abused. Am I right, sister social worker? This is abuse. Church men and leaders set her up, not caring about her soul, knowing that she had a weakness, and they used that weakness against her in order to get Christ. So I want to be clear here. Was it a setup? Yes. Was it malicious? Yes. But was she guilty? Here's the word. I want you to hear this tonight. See, God was trying to save the Pharisees and her. I want to just show you something real quick. Just, you tell me how you feel about this. Lord, show this to me. A lot of times we think that God's only affection was for that woman. God was trying to save both groups. Because the Bible says he is not willing that any should perish. So God, now, I don't believe that God sets up sinful situations, right? But I believe that God can take sinful situations that the enemy has set up and use those situations to bring us to a knowledge of ourselves. So catch this now. Watch this. Watch this. Watch this. Know that while Christ is in the temple preaching, he knows what's about to come. Oh, come on, y'all. Y'all with me? Uh, can, we, can, can we believe that why don't think when Jesus was preaching he was like surprised oh my goodness look at here when Jesus that morning when he got ready for church and decided he was going to preach there that day Michelle he knew what the enemy had planned and so in his mind this is what I love about God God is God is oh God is so awesome because God can take the most complex situations and he can work them for everybody's salvation so God, notice, Jesus did not go and try to stop it. Can I ask you a question? Did God know? Does he know some of the stuff you did before you did it? So why didn't God try to stop it? Why didn't God send an angel in the bedroom when you were with that person that was not your spouse, when you were, when you were in that crack house, when you, when you were in, why didn't he stop it? Let me tell you why God didn't stop it. Because he could, how many know God could walk in there and say, don't do this. Because this is the point, oh, please, this is, I'm closing on this right here. God wants to use our failures to move us forward. Most of us will not grow spiritually until we fail. You have got, oh, y'all want to hear me now. See, most of us think we are going to walk into heaven without any failures or without any mistakes. But God realizes that you will not grow that way unless you learn to see yourself. So watch what God does. God says, I'm going to let both of them act ugly. I'm going, to allow, I'm going to give her the breath and the blood in her veins to commit adultery. 
Do you realize while she was, Lord have mercy, in the heat of the moment, that the only way she could do that and live was because God gave her breath to do it? Oh, y'all not hearing me in here. You can't sin if God doesn't let you sin. If God doesn't give you breath in your body to sin. Do you realize that the devil cannot give life? But God must be up to something, must he? He must be up to something if he will not, if he will not stop it, but he will allow me to have breath to even do it. And he knows that I'm going to fail at it so that when I fail, I will finally, here we go, Pastor Coates and preaches to us. This is the thing God wants from us. This is, the, this is the next level of spirituality. God wants us to get into a place where we get busted. They got busted because he exposed their sins in the sand. She got busted because they busted her. And I'm going to tell you right now, the best thing that could have ever happened to her is what happened to her that day. Oh, y'all not hearing me here today. Some of us bemoan some of us. See, she would never have become a follower of Jesus unless she had that experience that day. And I'm telling you right now. One of the reasons why many of us, and those who are listening, those that have emailed me on Facebook, that you told me you want to listen tonight, I want you to hear this point right now. When I was struggling with pornography, I had to get busted. I don't know what your sin is. It could be pride. But until you get busted, you're going to keep on in it. <laughs> I'm trying to tell y'all. Listen, there is a blessing in getting caught. Oh, see, our flesh resists the notion of us ever being found out. Look, come on, y'all. We live our lives to please people. We want people to think a certain way of us. We will, come on, y'all. We will lie. We will pretend. We'll laugh at stuff that ain't funny. We'll, we'll frown at stuff that don't make us upset. We'll do stuff. Just, we'll walk a certain way. We'll, we'll boast about stuff we know we don't have. We'll pretend we got money and we know we don't. Come on in here, y'all. We'll act like our marriage is happy and we know it ain't. We'll act like our kids are perfect and we know they're not. We'll pretend like the kid is not in prison, like the child is not gay, like the kid is not getting high. We'll act like there ain't nothing wrong because it is our our desire to simply to make people think that all is well. That is countercultural to what a real Christian is about. A real Christian has no shame in admitting that I need God. This is who I am. I am a sinner in need of God's grace. But because you won't admit it, God has got to set up circumstances in your life where you fall flat on your face because he knows it will not be until then that you learn how to call on the name of the Lord. There's a blessing in getting busted, I'm telling you right now. So this is what I figured. Bust yourself. If I didn't bust myself, let me tell you, let me give you a scenario. I'd have got so deep in that stuff, I'd have lost my way, might have had an affair, might, might have been on the computer at church and some stuff, and some stuff stayed on the computer. One of the members came by and saw it. Come on in here. There are a thousand different scenarios. I could have gotten caught up in prostitution rings. I'm just being honest in here. I don't know. I wasn't into that, but I know how sin is. Sin always grabs you over here and pulls you where you never thought you would go. Sin always takes you down a road that you never thought you would go. Sin always takes, don't, that's why I, you don't sit around here and say, I'm not going to do this. I'm not, you don't know what to do if it wasn't for the grace of
of God. And so I thank God. See, I didn't wait. I didn't wait to get busted. I had to bust myself. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. I think the most important lesson you can learn about overcoming sin is to tell somebody that you've got a problem. <laughs> uh, Twelve steps, borrowed that from the Bible. Can I tell you what, the, what James says? James 5.16? Confess your faults one to another that you might be healed. The longer you hide it, the longer you pretend it's not that big. Look, there's some fires that you got to try to put out even before it looks like it's a big fire. I, I, I thank God for the support system I have, Coaxum, others, friends, Zach, friends of mine that I talk to. And I'm in the habit, I'm trying to get in the habit now of telling what's wrong with me so that I will never get in the habit of secrecy. The minute you get in secrecy mode is the minute that thing destroys your life. Because God is so desperate to save you that he will bust you. How many people have we seen in the media and the news? You know, I'm, I'm trying to, there, there was a recent example of this. I mean, let's just, Tiger, Petraeus, Tiger Woods. Look, when these people get busted, this is not the first time. Okay, all right. When they get caught, it's not the first time. So that's, it stands to reason that all this time, Anthony, God has been trying to talk to them and God has been giving them ways of escape. But because they were so proud and didn't want to admit that they had a problem, they didn't want to tell nobody. <laughs> this is where the church comes in. That's why the church has got to be a loving Grace. <clears throat> this is the scary thing about church. Come, come, come and play, Michelle. It, 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 like if I can see now how people will be in church and go to hell. Because I know as a pastor that all of us struggle with very similar things. But because we are so proud and private, we don't really have anybody. We were just talking the other day. Pastor Coxman and I were talking to one of our members, and they admitted, they said, look, when I was in the world, I had more friends that I could talk to when I, than when I joined the church. Oh, come on. Do y'all remember that? When you was in the world, you had friends galore. I mean, I mean, y'all would talk about everything. You know, even if it was unrighteous, you at least you had some support. And when he said that to Coxman and I, we were like, this is... We have a community that's not really a community. We have people that jam into a building and they all struggle with similar things, but because of pride, because of fear, because of a lack of trust, because people are not spiritual, we can't even help one another because we're not willing to bust ourselves. My natural inclination is that I want people to like me. That's what I want. I remember early on in my ministry, I would preach hard sermons, and then I would go back after it was over, and I asked people, how did it go? Was it okay? I wasn't too hard, was I? Just because of that carnal thing in me that just wants people to like me. So when God told me, tell your testimony, 
of how I delivered you from pornography. You better understand that that, that was like, for real? People are not going to like me. People are not, people, I mean, are you serious? But man, I want you to know, there is so much freedom when you're able to share what God is doing in your life, what you're struggling with, because God has brought so many people in my life since that, that I, that I have not only been a blessing to, but have been a blessing to me. You may not have a sexual thing. That's no problem. You got something. <laughs> you got something. And I think tonight I want to end our time with, with prayer.